Hello, and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Hello, this is Don Griffith, the host for your podcast this evening. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Tim Swearingen and Rose Swearingen, and they're going to talk a little bit about their Toastmaster experience, where they've been, their journeys they've had, and especially in the leadership side of Toastmasters. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Don. Nice to be here. And Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. All right. What I want to talk about is how you got started in Toastmasters, and where along the way did you discover the leadership track, as we call it? Tim, tell us about the early days of Toastmasters for you. I joined a club in the northwest side of Indianapolis, Indiana, called Turning Point Toastmasters. They still meet every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Meeting locations have changed over the 20-some-odd years, and I found the club in March of 95, but I didn't actually have the courage to bother to go join until October of 95. My third meeting with the club was their club officer elections, and I was not at that meeting. Yet I was elected sergeant at arms. And so that's how I discovered the leadership side of Toastmasters was I came back my fourth meeting and poof, all of a sudden I'm this new club officer that I had no idea. <laughs> and what was your response to that uh, situation? Well, my response was, well, okay, is someone going to tell me what the heck I need to do? Because I had no idea what a sergeant at arms was at that point. It's not the way I probably would onboard someone into leadership, but knowing how I am and knowing the people in the club that I'm still friends with, that was actually a really good approach for me. It threw me in the deep end of the pool and it forced me to learn quickly. And did they in fact help you with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was an amazing club that had members in it that were very, as past just that initial role, became very formative in my deciding to do even more in a leadership track. They got you, they, they told you about the program and showed you what leadership is and what mentoring is. Yeah, they and with a little, few little nudges along the way, and, hey, you should go take advantage of this opportunity. Right. What about you, Rose? How did you get started? Well, I actually joined a club in 1993 in San Diego, and it was a work club, and then they folded three months later. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, so I didn't rejoin for eight years. Uh, I was working at a company called Marsh, and my boss at the time was this incredible woman named Sue, and she said, I really want you to do this training for us, soft skill stuff like customer service, phone skills, but I really would like to know that you can actually speak in public. And she said, go join the Toastmasters Club in our office, and it was part of the young executive program. So all of these college grads um, were joining the club. It was part of their two years before they were made partners. And I said, isn't that just for young executives? And she said, well, don't you want to be one someday? And I said, all right, I'll join. So I ended up joining on her recommendation that I do that. And then I did my first three speeches and she said, okay, now you can start to train people. 
And that was in June of 2001. Officially joined in June of 2001, although I've been going to the club since March. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, Rose, what was your first leadership gig in Toastmasters? Well, my first leadership gig was the club that I joined at Marsh. Their philosophy was um, we don't go to conference, we don't go to TLI, and we don't do contests. And so I was like, okay, I guess we don't do that. So I didn't do that. You didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. I just did what my club did. And then I got late. I got laid off and I had to find another club. And I happened upon this club called Leaders Plus. And when I first walked in, I was sat next to past international director Nancy Starcassidy. And she said, you'd be great at, and it was whatever Nancy said. I just was like, okay, I'll do it. So you were... You were pulled into the gravitational orbit of yeah. Nancy Starcassidy. I was, but I also quickly realized that like all I had been doing career-wise was being someone's secretary. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't given any leadership opportunity, and I wanted to be in management. I, I sense no better now, but I, at the time, I wanted to be in management. And the fact that I could lead committees and do volunteer leadership really changed the course of my career professionally because I went from being an executive assistant to now a project manager and gaining confidence to say you know what I need to go back to school and I need to get my degree and then keep going until I felt like I had achieved what I needed to achieve. Tim after that first job as sergeant at arms which is a good learning position, isn't it? It's a, it's a great learning position. You learn an awful lot about the mechanics inside the four walls of your club. Um, my club, Turning Point, absolutely embraced everything outside of the club. So very you know, different. Right? Very, very different experience. It was uh, The way it was put to me was I was required to go to club officer training. Now, in District 11, where I started in Indiana, they didn't follow the Toastmasters Leadership Institute model. It was more of a traditional training at a division level and a division governor then or an area governor then. And maybe sometimes there'd be some subject matter experts would come in and you'd sit in small groups and they'd answer questions. Mm -hmm. And that was the way they did their training. They had one big like Toastmasters Leadership Institute downtown at I think Lily's corporate headquarters. Uh, but they very much, they're like, oh, you have to go to club officer training. Oh, you have to go to area councils. They required all seven of our officers to go to, to area council meetings and division council meetings. And, oh, you ha- and you're going to conference and, and, and. So it was just put to me as, you, oh, you got this job. You have to go do it now. I, I had no idea any better. And that's just what we did. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I worked off the assumption of, okay, that's what everybody does. When did you discover that that wasn't true? (laughs) You know, it's interesting. So I did six months as a sergeant at arms. And then we, we had a change in our meeting space and we lost some members as a result of it. And I wound up becoming our club president just through default and my mentor then, Sam Bristol, kind of saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And he kind of nudged me into the club president role. And he was immediate past president, so he was willing to support me. 
And that was very much appreciated. And I think it was, as I started doing club president, that was a one-year term. And six months into that, the area director needed help. And the next thing I know, I'm an assistant area director, area governor is what we called them then. And it was really when I started visiting other clubs that I learned, oh, not everybody, we're all doing the same thing. But we all have, we're all different flavor of vanilla in how we do that same right, thing, right. right? And I mean, there was one club I went to where uh, they were club number 42. They were literally the 42nd club in the organization. They were the oldest club east of the Mississippi. And it was in the area that I wound up becoming area governor in. And I visited that club and they still had a spouse's table that was left over from the days when spouses couldn't join Toastmasters. They would come to the meetings and they'd sit at a separate table from their husbands and that was how they participated. You became the president. How long was that after your, you joined? A little over six months. Wow. So I joined in October. The joined mid-October. Club officer elections were beginning in November. Sergeant-at-arms from... January to June, and then that next July 1st, I was club club president. And you, of course, realize now how unusual that trajectory is. Oh, yeah, that was completely insane. But again, I was very fortunate. In the club, you know, I had Sam Bristol, and I had Glory Smith, and um, Tommy Richardson were all a part of that club. Yeah, and I've, they, I've met Bill, or... You've met Sam. Sam Bristol. Yeah, Sam. We have, Sam. A, we have a Bill Bristol, too. <laughs> yeah, Sam has actually come to District 3 yeah. back yeah. when I was actively involved as a district leader to present at our conferences. Yeah. And I see him at conference and yeah. national convention, things like that. Yeah. You experienced the power of having an advocate, someone there looking at, looking out for you, guiding you. And then somewhere along the line, you realized, hey, there's something going on here that I like. I know exactly when that was. The winter that I was sergeant at arms, Sam was a contestant in, and I want to say it was the international speech contest, but it could have been a humorous contest. I don't remember. Regardless, it was a speech contest. And the speech, the area speech contest happened to be at the same facility where our club met. And so I would show up on my Saturday, on Saturday morning and I help with setup and I don't remember anything about the contest except this moment. And it was that Sam, who had not eaten breakfast and had not had dinner the night before, gave his speech. And in the middle of the speech, he collapsed. Mm. And he got right up and he kept going. And you're kind of left thinking, well, that was a really unusual gesture. I'm not quite sure what point <laughs> Sam was trying to make with that gesture. And then he collapsed again. And this time it took him a little longer to get up. And of course, everyone's kind of comes in in that moment and they're offering to help. And he waves everybody off and he finished his speech from his seat. He just sat down in a chair that someone brought him and he finished his speech. He didn't win. He didn't place, obviously. But what I saw there, I saw something in a Toastmasters organization that was very tangible we're just going to come around somebody and surround them with love right. and and help them realize whatever it is they're trying to realize in this organization. Rose, tell us about what happened after that first 
leadership opportunity in your club? Well, <laughs> you were actually district governor when it happened. I had wanted to be an area governor and Joe, the late great Joe DeRico, wouldn't let me be an area governor until I was a president or vice president of education. And when we chartered Vanguard of Toastmasters, you, I told you what was happening and you were like, oh, you can be vice president of education. And I had no idea what that meant or what was going to happen. And then I also volunteered to be the district newsletter editor. And Joe was more than excited to have me do that. But it was actually something that you did that allowed me to then be an area governor the next year. And I think I actually ended up being the vice president of education of one club and the president of another club because I had been secretary. And so I don't, uh, it was the beginning of my not doing things halfway ever right. in Toastmasters. Right. So then I was able to, to be an area governor that following year. I provided you a path. I helped you along your path. Yeah. So and it's your fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> Well, we do that. Yeah. We especially the the more mature Toastmasters who have been there long enough, they realize that people don't always know what yeah. they can do. Yeah, and I that's very true. There hasn't been anything that I've done in Toastmasters where there hasn't been someone who said you could you would be great at this. You can do this. And I think a lot of times we're waiting or we think the perfect person needs to do something and I was never going to be perfect. So there were people who were like, okay, try this and just right. be you and don't worry about it. And then I tried to do that in leadership too. And you learn that we don't expect you to know how to do all these things to join Toastmasters, yeah. including being a leader. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine what Toastmasters would be like if you had to do an audition. Right. <laughs> we would not be the world-class organization we are today. And it's the same with leadership. Yeah. We learn it. And yes, we'll make some mistakes, but yeah, people helping you along the way. Absolutely. And now was, was Nancy Starcassidy still there for you? <laughs> she started you off. Did she, she stick did. with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She stuck with me. Forever. I mean, that's why she was the best lady at my wedding. She was the one who kept saying, but she would also say, you know what? It's not your time. You still need to develop some leadership skills. You need some seasoning? Yes. And I think what we don't do as well as we used to is to grow people into leadership programs, into leadership roles, because it isn't just about filling a role. There has to be a a skill set there that helps you to be successful because the last thing you want to do is throw someone into something and they're make it impossible for them to be successful it'd be like going to college and you know you sign you're a freshman and all of a sudden someone expects you to do a senior level research project and yeah. you're not ready yeah you don't have the background you don't have the knowledge you don't have the experience working with the professors all of those things you're not quite ready yeah it's the rare person who can skip all of that yeah, that was not me. <laughs> not me either. <laughs> Damn, after you were president, this was still back in District 8, correct? District 11, Indiana. Uh, 11, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I did my term as president, and then I helped as an assistant area governor. 
And then the, the area governor came to our club and he was talking about, hey, we're looking for people to take on leadership roles in, in District 11 next year. And, and he made the job sound really fun, like a lot more fun than I had thought I'd seen out of this. And I thought, well, what the heck, I'll throw my hat in the ring. And so I was the area H33 governor. That was a very interesting experience. My club was in my area. And I had club number 42, the Jesse L. Arnold Club in my area. While I was area governor, they renamed themselves to the Jim Hazlett Club. And poor Jim Hazlett's like, wait a minute. When we named the club the Jesse L. Arnold Club 40 years ago, Jesse died like two weeks later. <laughs> what are you saying here? Right? I, I hope that doesn't happen to me. And then I wound up, I was, I enjoyed the area governor role so much that I wound up working as a division governor. I sought and was elected to that role. And throughout that, I had people in my pathway. You know, Sam had been an area governor. And when I first joined Toastmasters, I honestly thought Sam worked for Toastmasters International, the way he talked about it. I re it really became evident very early on that the area governor was the face of Toastmasters International to the clubs. That really stuck with me as I went through other roles. I wound up after division governor, I was division governor of the year. I got very involved with our club leadership training and in organizing our TLI effort in District 11 and trying to make it better than what it was. And then I was district PRO until September of 99 when I moved from Indiana to Arizona. And I decided that Maybe I was done with Toastmasters. I was two speeches away from getting my Distinguished Toastmaster Award. The manuals were packed off in a box, and it really wasn't a priority for a couple months. But I had had, had this great journey and great leadership experience and learned an awful lot about not only leadership, but volunteer leadership. I learned how to help lead that is so different than how the leadership model that you're usually exposed to in corporate America. It's a very authoritarian model. It's very much, this is an hours for dollars exchange. So while I'm here, Don, if you're my boss, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm agreeing to do because we, we have, I'm giving you my hours, you're giving me dollars. And, and, if, you you're, and if you don't do it, you won't get my dollars. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so as you get in, as you, what I learned in management through Toastmasters was how to start treating my team members like they were volunteers. And I'm starting to see much more effective results in corporate America, which is ultimately what helped bring me to Arizona mm -hmm. with a job that doubled my salary and was just a much better opportunity than what I was realizing in Indiana. And I had no idea until I got out here and got into it. So what I'm hearing is... Toastmasters helped you professionally. Oh, absolutely. It helped evolve my, my leadership style. I still treat, I, leave a, I lead a matrix team of people from all over the world, and I still treat them like they're volunteers. Even, and do they, do they know that? Do they, intellectually, do they know that, or do they just feel it by the way no, you treat they, them? No, they feel it, and I see that results in how they go the extra mile consistently to help with things. We professionally, in my workplace, we've had some challenges this past month. It's been incredibly difficult. And last Friday, I had an opportunity to be on with the team leaders that are helping us. And I just said, hey, guys, you know, 
it's been a really rough month and I know you've worked really, really hard and I just want, you know, I really appreciate it. It's not gone unnoticed. And while I can't do a lot to tangibly reward you, I just want, you know, I really appreciate this. So then this week when one of the guys wants to have like come in three hours late and he works in the Philippines. So he usually works our overnight hours. And he's like, hey, can I come in three hours late Wednesday? Because I want to go to this awards dinner with my wife. She's getting an award where they're coming. Like, yeah, sure, Joey, go ahead and do that. Don't worry about it. It's very much a right. let me reward you in an intangible way. And that attracts people to my team. Bros, do you feel that same thing? Has Toastmasters helped you not just with a social organization or a fun organization, but in your work? Yeah. Like I had mentioned earlier, I was an executive assistant and I always joke and say that the only thing I led my way to was a coffee pot for my boss. One of the things that happened was it was an indirect result, which is as I gained confidence as a speaker and as a leader in the organization, it gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I really need to finish my bachelor's. There were things internally that were that were holding me back from doing that. So I just I went back to school. I got my bachelor's and then I kept going and I have a master's now and I pretty much have tripled my salary since I started in Toastmasters in 2001. And now I don't do as much public speaking, but what I'm doing now is coaching women who are interested in running for office. Those women will come to me and say, how do I speak? Because Public speaking on the political front is way different than Toastmasters, but the mechanics are the same. Sure. So it's opened up that opportunity. So now I'm kind of like this SME with a group of people that I have. SME, for, the, uh, for uh, the folks who don't know what that is. <laughs> a subject matter expert. And what's what it's also done in my career is because I know how to speak in public and I can get up in front of a group. I always seem to take over all the training programs for every job I'm in. So right now I'm a consultant at a large company in town and I'm a contractor, but I'm responsible for their entire training program. So it's definitely helped. Well, you know, you said that it's political speaking is different and it is. Obviously, you've got a different kind of audience dynamic. You've got opposition and so forth. But the fundamentals are the same. Know your audience. Yep. Have clear objectives, clear points, good use of the words, all of those things. And when you're up on a stage, good stage management, good gestures, all of the things that we learn in Toastmasters work well there too. Yeah. Pacing, breathiness, vocal variety. In fact, this couple days ago, I was just teaching a group of women that that very thing is the not how to write the content because we'd already covered that, but how to get up in front of, I mean, even from things like don't wear jewelry that makes noise. Because mm-hmm. if you have a lavalier mic on, all people are going to hear is tinkle, 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 you know, and so they found that immensely helpful to, you know, how, how to feel comfortable with their arms and they're walking around and staging the room. And so it, right. it's kind of opened up some new doors as well. So let me ask you, I've got to ask as a Toastmaster, have you talked to any of them about being Toastmasters? Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I uh, kind of, pl- part of my thing was to talk about Toastmasters. I did tell them that, you know, in Toastmasters, we tell you to kind of limit the descriptive parts in politics. You want the audience to know your story and feel for you. So I did warn them that people will tell you to kind of cut down. And that's, I I said, that's not part 
of what they do, but that to go there to practice because they don't have a usually a place to practice that it was inexpensive because it's not cheap to run a campaign or to be running for office and that they would get instantaneous feedback and that was really important i even said although i hate to do it videotape themselves (laughs) and just to kind of because they see things they feel like they do things that we don't see, and then they don't see what we see. Right. So it was a right. great way for them to to work uh, on it. So we've got two professional areas that benefited. We have the political arena is strong t- with a Toastmaster kind of experience. And in Tim's case, we had, you know, working in a company, leading teams in a... It's a high-tech company, right? It, it is. Actually... <clears throat> it's a company that, you know, I spent 14 years as, stru- as structural engineer. And when you're an engineer, you're <laughs> usually good at that because you're not usually a people person. Metal, wood, concrete, soil, don't talk back to you. Numbers. If, yeah, if they do, if those things do talk back to you, there are issues that Toastmasters will not help you with, right? But, you know, after the economic apocalypse, I couldn't be a structural engineer anymore. And I found a job with a call center company. And I started working part-time. It paid better than unemployment. And I was going to stay there until I could find a real job because I was still looking for another engineering, civil or structural or something. And when I was doing that, they had a position. Well, they then made me a full-time employee. I don't know what they were thinking, but it happened, and that was great because then I got a little more money and I got benefits, and the benefits were really important in my life at the time. And then they, there was an opportunity for a trainer. And because of what I'd learned in Toastmasters, I was successful in getting that training job. And that job got me exposure to people who led me down a pathway where I now manage new technology products for a 48 plus thousand person company with employees all over the world. And I'm, and I'm managing technology that is going to be transformative for our company. And it never would have happened right. had it not been for the basic skills I learned in Toastmasters. And frankly, those skills wouldn't have taken if I hadn't had the confidence through the leadership journey and the support of all the people that I'd run into along the way. I was very fortunate. I know as I look back how fortunate I was to have very strong mentors in my original club in Indiana. And then I'm doubly fortunate that I came across those same type of people when I came to Arizona. I'm incredibly blessed. This concludes the first of several podcast sessions with Tim and Rose Swearingen. Stay tuned for future sessions with Tim and Rose as they discuss their continued leadership journey in Toastmasters. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International, other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.